Section twenty five of the Children of Odin. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Elizabeth Clett. The Children of Odin, The Book of Northern Myths, by Parik Kolum. Part four. Chapter seven. Brynhild in the House of Flame. The forest ways led him on and up a mountainside. He came to a mountain summit at last, Hindfell, where the trees fell away, leaving a place open to the sky and winds. On Hindfell was the house of flame. Sigurd saw the walls black and high, and all around them was a ring of fire. As he rode nearer he heard the roar of the mounting and the circling fire. He sat on Grani, his proud horse, and for long he looked on the black walls and the flame that went circling around them. Then he rode Grani to the fire. Another horse would have been affrighted, but Grani remained steady under Sigurd. To the wall of fire they came, and Sigurd, who knew no fear, rode through it. Now he was in the courtyard of the hall. No stir was there of man or hound or horse. Sigurd dismounted and bade Grani be still. He opened a door, and he saw a chamber with hangings on which was wrought the pattern of a great tree, a tree with three roots, and the pattern was carried across from one wall to the other. On a couch in the centre of the chamber one lay in slumber. Upon the head was a helmet, and across the breast was a breastplate. Sigurd took the helmet off the head. Then over the couch fell a heap of woman's hair, wondrous, bright-gleaming hair. This was the maiden that the birds had told him of. He cut the fastenings of the breastplate with the sword, and he gazed long upon her. Beautiful was her face, but stern, like the face of one who subdues but may not be subdued. Beautiful and strong were her arms and her hands. Her mouth was proud, and over her closed eyes there were strong and beautiful brows. Her eyes opened, and she turned them and looked full upon Sigurd. "'Who art thou who hast awakened me?' she said. "'I am Sigurd, the son of Sigmund, of the Volsung race,' he answered. "'And thou didst ride through the ring of fire to me?' "'That I did.' She knelt on the couch and stretched out her arms to where the light shone. "'Hail, O day!' she cried. "'And hail, O beams that are the sons of day! O night, and O daughter of night!' May ye look on us with eyes that bless. Hail, O Aesir, and O Asinir! Hail, O wide-spreading fields of Midgard! May ye give us wisdom and wise speech and healing power, and grant that nothing untrue or unbrave may come near us. All this she cried with eyes open wide. They were eyes that had in them all the blue that Sigurd had ever seen, the blue of flowers, the blue of skies, the blue of battle-blades. She turned those great eyes upon him, and she said, I am Brynhild, once a Valkyrie, but now a mortal maiden, one who will know death and all the sorrows that mortal women know. But there are things that I may not know, things that are false and of no bravery. She was the bravest and the wisest and the most beautiful maiden in the world. Sigurd knew that it was so. He laid his sword Grom at her feet, and he said her name. Brynhild. He told her how he had slain the dragon, and how he had heard the birds tell of her. She rose from the couch and bound her wondrous hair on her head. In wonder he watched her. 
When she moved it was as though she walked above the earth. They sat together and she told him wonderful and secret things. And she told him, too, how she was sent by Odin from Asgard to choose the slain for his hall Valhalla, and to give victory to those whom he willed to have it. And she told how she had disobeyed the will of Allfather, and for that she was made outcast of Asgard. Odin put into her flesh the thorn of the Tree of Sleep, that she might remain in slumber until one who was the bravest of mortal men should waken her. Whoever would break the fastenings of the breastplate would take out the thorn of sleep. Odin granted me this, she said, that as a mortal maid I should wed none but him who is the bravest in the world, and so that none but him might come to me, all father put the fire-ring round where I lay in slumber, and it is thou, Sigurd, son of Sigmund, who hast come to me. Thou art the bravest, and I think thou art the most beautiful too, like to Tyr, the god who wields the sword. She told him that whoever rode through the fire and claimed her as his wife, him she must wed. They talked to each other fondly, and the day flowed by them. Then Sigurd heard Grani, his horse, neigh for him again and again. He cried to Brynhild, Let me go from the gaze of thine eyes. I am that one who is to have the greatest name in the world. Not yet have I made my name as great as my father and my father's father made their names great. I have overcome King Lingi, and I have slain Fafnir the dragon, but that is little. I would make my name the greatest in the world, and endure all that is to be endured in making it so. Then I would come back to thee in the house of flame." Brynhild said to him, "'Well dost thou speak. Make thy name great, and endure what thou hast to endure in making it so. I will wait for thee, knowing that none but Sigurd would be able to win through the fire that guards where I abide.' They gazed long on each other, but little more they spoke. Then they held each other's hands in farewell, and they plighted faith, promising each other that they would take no man or maiden for their mate. And for token of their troth, Sigurd took the ring that was on his finger, and placed it on Brynhild's. On Vari's ring it was. CHAPTER Eight, Sigurd at the House of the Nibelungs He left Hindfell, and he came into a kingdom that was ruled over by a people that were called the Nibelungs as Sigurd's people were called the Volsungs. Giuki was the name of the king of that land. Giuki and his queen and all their sons gave a great welcome to Sigurd when he came to their hall, for he looked such a one as might win the name of being the world's greatest hero. And Sigurd went to war beside the king's sons, Gunnar and Hogni, and the three made great names for themselves, but Sigurd shone high above the others. When they came back from that war there were great rejoicings in the hall of the Nibelungs, and Sigurd's heart was filled with friendship for all the Nibelung race, and he had love for the king's sons, Gunnar and Hogni, and with Gunnar and Hogni he swore oaths of brotherhood. Henceforward he and they would be as brethren. King Yuki had a stepson named Guttorm, and he was not bound in the oath that bound Sigurd and the others in brotherhood. After the war they had waged, Sigurd spent a whole winter in the hall of the Nibelungs. His heart was full of memories of Brynhild, and of longings to ride to her in the House of Flame, and to take her with him to the kingdom that King Yuki would have given him. But as yet he would not go back to her, for he had sworn to give his brethren further help. One day as he rode by himself he heard birds talk to each other, and he knew the words they were saying. One said, "'There is Sigurd who wears the wondrous helmet that he took out of Fafnir's hoard.' And the other bird said, 
He knows not that by that helmet he can change his shape, as Fafnir changed his shape, and make him look like this creature or that creature, or this man or that man. And the third bird said, He knows not that the helmet can do anything so wonderful for him. He rode back to the hall of the Nibelungs, and at the supper-board he told them what he had heard the birds say. He showed them the wondrous helmet. Also he told them how he had slain Fafnir the dragon, and of how he had won the mighty hoard for himself. His two sworn brothers who were there rejoiced that he had such wondrous possessions. But more precious than the hoard, and more wondrous than the helmet, was the memory of Brynhild that he had. But of this he said no word. Grimhild was the name of the queen. She was the mother of Gunnar and Hogni, and their half-brother Guttorm. And she and the king had one daughter, whose name was Gudrun. Now Grimhild was one of the wisest of women, and she knew when she looked upon him that Sigurd was the world's greatest warrior. She would have him belong to the Nibelungs, not only by the oaths of brotherhood that he had sworn with Gunnar and Hogni, but by other ties. And when she heard of the great hoard that was his, she had greater wish and will that he should be one with the Nibelungs. She looked on the helmet of gold, and on the great arm-ring that he wore, and she made it her heart's purpose that Sigurd should wed with Gudrun, her daughter. But neither Sigurd nor the maiden Gudrun knew of Grimhild's resolve. And the queen, watching Sigurd closely, knew that he had a remembrance in his breast that held him from seeing Gudrun's loveliness. She had knowledge of spells and secret brews. She was of the race of Borghild, whose brew had destroyed Sinfjotli's life, and she knew that she could make a potion that would destroy the memory Sigurd held. She mixed the potion. Then one night, when there was feasting in the hall of the Nibelungs, she gave the cup that held the potion into the hands of Gudrun, and bade her carry it to Sigurd. Sigurd took the cup out of the hands of the fair Nibelung maiden, and he drank the potion. When he had drunk it, he put the cup down, and he stood amongst the feasters like a man in a dream. And like a man in a dream he went into his chamber, and for a day and night afterwards he was silent, and his mind was astray. When he rode out with Gunnar and Hogni, they would say to him, "'What is it thou hast lost, brother?' Sigurd could not tell them. But what he had lost was all memory of Brynhild the Valkyrie in the House of Flame. He saw Gudrun, and it was as though he looked upon her for the first time. Soft were the long tresses of her hair, soft were her hands. Her eyes were like wood-flowers, and her ways and her speech were gentle. Yet was she noble in her bearing as became a princess who had come into a kingdom. And from the first time she had seen him upon Grani, his proud horse, and with his golden helmet above his golden hair, Gudrun had loved Sigurd. At the season when the wild swans came to the lake, Gudrun went down to watch them build their nests, and while she was there Sigurd rode through the pines. He saw her, and her beauty made the whole place change. He stopped his horse and listened to her voice as she sang to the wild swans, sang the song that Voland made for Alvit, his swan-bride. No more was Sigurd's heart empty of memory. It was filled with the memory of Gudrun as he saw her by the lake when the wild swans were building their nests. And now he watched her in the hall sitting with her mother embroidering, or serving her father or her brothers, and tenderness for the maiden kept growing in his heart. A day came when he asked Gunnar and Hogni, his sworn brethren, for Gudrun. They were glad as though a great fortune had befallen them, and they brought him before Gyuki the king, and Grimhild the queen. It seemed as if they had cast off all trouble and care, and entered into the prime of their life and power, 
so greatly did the king and the queen rejoice at Sigurd's becoming one with the Nibelungs through his marriage with Gudrun. When Gudrun heard that Sigurd had asked for her, she said to the queen, "'O oh, my mother, your wisdom should have strengthened me to bear such joy. How can I show him that he is so dear, so dear to me? But I shall try not to show it, for he might deem that there was no sense in me but sense to love him. So great a warrior would not care for such love. I would be with him as a battle-maiden." Sigurd and Gudrun were wed, and all the kingdom that the Nibelungs ruled over rejoiced. And Queen Grimhild thought that though the effect of the potion she gave would wear away, his love for Gudrun would ever fill his heart, and that no other memory would be able to find a place there. End of section 25